Well, we recently discovered a mouse living in our house rent-free. Now, to be accurate, this was an, a, uh, an actual rodent and not an unwelcome guest or relative. When said mouse, who has since gone on to receive his or her eternal reward, was first discovered, there was great chaos in my home. There was screaming, there was shouting, there was crying, and relief could only be found atop the kitchen table. Hours later, when I descended the table, I assessed the situation. Actually, it wasn't me who jumped on the, Christ, uh, the, uh, the kitchen table, but it, it might have been me had I actually seen the mouse. I was already in bed at the time. I heard the screaming, but in my defense, it actually sounded like laughter. And so I decided just to stay put. Eventually, I heard the words that I dread most when I'm already in bed. Someone get dad. And that's what happened. Now, thankfully, it's not often that we are called to battle mice on our path to glory. But when we do, we need courage. Most of us are rightly disgusted by the very sight of mice. And we ask ourselves the question, why in the world did God make them in the first place? And I don't have an answer to that question. Now, to be honest with you, I've not actually had much cause in my life to be physically courageous. One of the rare times was when I was serving as a short-term missionary in Nigeria, West Africa. I remember being uh, waking up on a uh, Saturday morning, I believe, to the sound of what sounded like soldiers marching on the street behind my house. Now, there had been some uh, terrorist attacks from Muslims in Nigeria, so I was actually a bit concerned. But thankfully, I had a very thick blanket that I could courageously hide under, and I did. Later on, I found out it wasn't soldiers after all. It was the local high school's uh, track team that was just uh, out for a run. But they were a very scary track team, I assure you. So let me ask you, what is it that you think about when you think of courage? For some of us, we immediately think of physical courage. We think of valor, uh, the kind needed in war or in the war on mice. Others tend to think of moral courage, standing firm on your convictions in the face of opposition or ridicule. Another kind of courage that we need is the kind to take risks like bungee jumping or in the spiritual arena, doing something that God calls you to that might be scary. It could be serving in a community that has been played by violence. It might be becoming a full-time missionary. One of the most helpful definitions that I found this week about courage is this. It says the quality of being able to act bravely under difficulties or in the face of opposition being prepared to do dangerous or risky things in obedience to God in the belief that he will strengthen, guard, and protect his people. There are many forms of courage that can take place in our lives, but one thing we have to understand, without courage, it is impossible to be faithful to the Lord. It is impossible to be faithful to the Lord without courage. Obedience to God requires courage. Sometimes that is physical courage, as some of our brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing persecution. But it is constantly moral courage and the courage to obey God's leading in your life, even when it seems risky or scary, unpleasant, possibly even foolish. It really is that important. Now, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, you long to be courageous for him. The Holy Spirit has put that desire in your heart. But all of us would acknowledge that sometimes we act in a more cowardly fashion. And so my prayer this morning is that the time we spend together in God's word will help all of us to act more consistently, courageously for the glory of God. What we're going to do is we're going to look at courage from the life of Caleb from the Old Testament. And if there is one thing that I hope that you take away from this message, and I'm actually hoping you'll take away more than one, but it would be this. 
Courage is acting out of confidence in God, not from fear of your circumstances. That's what courage is. Courage is acting out of confidence in God, not out of fear from your circumstances. Well, we'll be turning to several different passages to help us understand Caleb's story better, beginning with Numbers chapter 13. But here's the outline that we're going to go through. The challenge, the contrast, and the keys. The challenge that Caleb and the Israelites faced, the contrast between his response and their response, and then the keys are the keys to courage. And we begin with the challenge. Please turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. But before we begin reading, let me set the stage historically. The Lord has recently rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt after 400 years. He has prepared his people by giving them his laws and by giving them the tabernacle for worship and sacrifice. The Lord has faithfully protected his people against all of their enemies. And he has led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The Lord has faithfully provided for his people food and water. The Lord has led his people to the edge of the promised land in order to fulfill his promise to give it to them. And now here at the beginning of Numbers chapter 13, 12 spies, each one representing one of the tribes of Israel, are sent into the promised land to see what the people are like and what the land is like. And the text tells us that each one of these spies was a chief or head of their tribe. They were not randomly selected. These were not the village idiots. These were the best of the best. So the 12 spies went throughout the promised land doing spy stuff. While they were there, they cut down a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on a pole between two men and they brought back some pomegranates and figs to show how good the land was. And that brings us to Numbers 13, verse 25. Let's read. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So after 40 days of spying out the land, they returned and they gave their report to Moses and the people of Israel. And they started off strong, right? First of all, they actually went to the right land. Trying to be positive here. They lasted all 40 days. They didn't give up and run away. And third, they affirmed that the land was good, just as God had said. It was a land that flowed with milk and honey. And then things got a little dicey. Well, what they initially said was true. It was the way that they said it that ultimately led to the deaths of an entire generation. They said the land... The people of the land are strong. It's true. The cities in the land are fortified and very large. That's true. The descendants of Anak are there. Giants. That was also true. And in a nutshell, this challenge was a battle between recently uh, freed slaves versus giant warriors in large and fortified cities. So how in the world was this group of former slaves going to break in not to just one, but to many large and fortified cities and defeat the giants who lived there. When we think about giants, I mean, think about LeBron James. Think about Shaquille O'Neal. Think about some of these people who, who are giants even in our own day compared to most of us. Can you imagine how frightening it must have been at the thought of going up against them? 
Those of you who are veterans of combat have experienced the fear of battle. When I watch war footage and I see the faces of these, these uh, young soldiers that are preparing for battle, it's difficult to imagine just how fearful that must have been. The Israelites were facing hand-to-hand combat with soldiers who were bigger, stronger, and much better trained in warfare. And I don't think it's unreasonable for, for us to say that the challenge before them was a great one, one that none of us would probably want to face. But if God called his people back then to something seemingly so impossible, so frightening, what makes us think that he wouldn't call us today to something similar? Maybe not something that takes physical courage, but something that takes great courage. And the truth is, he would and he does. So we have to be as prepared as possible beforehand. Some of you may have heard of the tragedy this past week where a pastor from Texas had pulled over to help someone on the side of the road and he was struck and killed by a semi-trailer. His name is John Powell. It's a heartbreaking story. I was reading it, looking at photos of his family. He leaves behind his wife, Catherine, and their four young children. The challenges that Catherine and her children now face are fearful. They might ask, well, what now? What do we do now? Most of her hopes and dreams for her family are over. Catherine will need courage in the face of such pain and sorrow. It will take courage for her to entrust her future and the future of her children to her heavenly father in the face of such uncertainty and loss. But the good news is, is that God will provide her and the children with the courage that they need. In his sovereign love, God sometimes allows things into our lives to accomplish his good and eternal purposes that bring us to the point where we believe, I can't make it. There's nothing that I can do. But that's when God shines the greatest. That's when we realize, you know, I really can't do anything on my own anyway. And God provides the courage that we need, most often day by day, to face these challenges. Now let's turn to the contrast, specifically the contrast between Caleb's wholehearted devotion to the Lord versus the hearts of the Israelites. And the contrast between Caleb's response and their response, the spies who gave gave a negative report and all the people who believed it, it really could not have been greater. If you look at chapter 14, verse 30, we see Caleb's response. So the spies gave their report and everyone is basically freaking out. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and he said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. There's two things that stand out in Caleb's brief response, right? Especially considering the greatness of the challenge that was before them. The first is that he wanted to fight the giants immediately. He goes, let's do this at once. Secondly, he was very confident. We are well able to overcome it. I mean, isn't that great? Don't you want to respond to the challenges that God puts before you in that way? I want to go now. I don't care what the challenges are. Let's go right now. What are we waiting for? Giants, fortified cities, no problem. Now, Caleb wasn't a fool and Caleb wasn't arrogant. He took stock of the challenges that they faced, but then he took stock of the God in whom he believed and the promises that God had made and how faithful God had been, and that gave him great courage. He might have asked, why in the world would God do everything that he did in order to bring us to this place and then not fulfill his promise? Why bring us to the edge of the promised land and then just let us die? And why would he bring you to the place where you are to fail you when you need him most? He wouldn't. And Caleb believed that. 
Caleb was courageous because he believed God. In one respect, it really is that simple. God provided and Caleb didn't take that for granted. God made promises and Caleb believed them. Will you? Will I? Well, now let's turn to the response of the 10 faithless spies. Were they inspired by Caleb's courage? Unfortunately not. Verse 31. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. The King James Version translates the words for bad report in verse 32 to evil report. And that's really what it was. It was an evil report. It was a report that was blasphemous in its denial of the power and the promises of God. It was an evil report that ultimately led to the death of an entire generation in the wilderness. In Joshua 14, Caleb says that the spies' report made the heart of the people melt it made the heart of the people melt. It seems as if they de-emphasized the size of the grapes and they emphasized the size of the enemy. And as a result, the people basically went nuts. What stands out in their report in contrast to Caleb's? Their focus was on the challenge they faced rather than on the Lord who was with them. They said, they are stronger than us. That's true. The land devours its inhabitants. In other words, it was such a good land that there was always conflict over who would own it, who would live where. We saw giants in the land. All the people are of great height. We are like grasshoppers compared to them. I mean, what soldier is afraid of a grasshopper? So my question is this, where is God in their report? Where is God in their report? And where is God in your assessment of whatever challenge you're facing right now? You can lay it all out. What they said was true. It was seemingly impossible. In fact, for them, it was impossible. Apart from God, there was no way they could do it. But that really is the point, right? If the challenges that you face are clearer to you than the God that you serve, you will never act courageously. You will always act in fear. If the problems are so close to your face that, that God is behind these and you can barely see him, but your focus is on the problem, well, you'll always act in fear. Unfortunately, their response got even worse. Numbers 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. I mean, how tragic is that? They were so afraid, they cried out and they wept. And soon their sadness and disappointment turned to grumbling and anger. I mean, I, I get it, right? It's hard to, to imagine what it must have felt like to have come so far after so long, to get to the edge of the promised land, to look it over and say, there's no way we can have it. What I ultimately was looking forward to, now it's being taken away at the last minute. But here's the nature of their response. They despised God's great deliverance from Egypt. They denounced God's plans to bless them. They denied God's will and they sought to return to Egypt. And then in verse 10, 
They decided to kill Caleb, Moses, Aaron, and Joshua. They were utterly faithless because they were afraid. And they were afraid because they didn't trust the Lord. The contrast between courage and fear was the difference between entering the promised land and experiencing God's blessings or an entire generation dying in the wilderness. The consequences could not have been greater. What made the difference between responding in courage and responding in fear? Again, it is trusting the Lord. It really is that simple. The facts were the same for everyone. Acting in courage didn't make the giants any smaller. And acting in fear didn't make the giants any bigger. The difference wasn't in the circumstances. And so how can we increase our courage and follow in the footsteps of people like Caleb? Well, from this story, there are several keys to courage that we can learn. To understand the keys to Caleb's courage, we turn again to Numbers 14 to see how Caleb, along with Moses and Aaron and Joshua, tried to convince the people of Israel to enter the promised land. This is, this is they, they marshaled everything they could say, we can do this. Listen to what they said, beginning in verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Consider what they did to try to inspire the people of Israel to have courage to, to defeat these giants in fortified cities. They fell on their faces and they tore their robes. They wanted to make it clear the anguish that they were in because of the potential disobedience of God's people. It wasn't just fear, it was rebellion. Seeing their leaders respond that way should have been a wake-up call, but it wasn't. They reminded them, this is an extremely good land. It is worth the effort it's going to take. They appealed to the ability of God to do it. God will do it if he delights in us. If we obey, God is well able to do it. And they warned them against rebelling against the Lord. And they told them, don't fear the people of the land because God was with us. Their protection was removed. We are going to eat them like bread. I love bread. My uh, son Jonathan is, makes bread at home all the time now. It is delicious. I've never really likened that to conquering my enemies. But it's, it's a word picture. You think, Eating bread is one of the easiest things I've ever done. And with God doing the, the fighting, they should have been able to trust him. That really should have brought them back to their senses, but tragically it didn't. The people rebelled and all who rebelled died. But we don't have to make the same mistakes they did. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, 40 years after the events of Numbers 13 and 14, the people of Israel were again on the edge of the promised land. And Moses is preparing them to enter just as he had prepared the previous generation. It's like Moses is saying, hey, this time, let's go in. The Lord again commanded them to go in and defeat the giants as an act of God's judgment against them. And Moses recounts the story of the previous generation's rebellion and shows why it wasn't just fearful, it was sinful. Deuteronomy 1 verses 29 through 33, Moses speaking, he said, Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. 
and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. Why was it so wrong for them not to be courageous? Normally, if someone's afraid, we don't rebuke them. We try to comfort and encourage them. In this case, they were not courageous. They were afraid because they had forgotten who God was and what he had done. And Moses was telling them, the Lord would fight for you. You think they're giants? They are the grasshoppers in the eyes of God. Don't worry about them. It's not about you. He did it when, they, when you were in Egypt. He can do it here. The Lord had cared for them. Like, like a father carries his son. It's a beautiful picture. The Lord had guided them and led them every single day and night to bring them there. You know, courage isn't something that you have to create in yourself. You don't have to talk yourself up into courage. When you face a circumstance that requires courage, you simply remember who God is and what he has done. And you trust him. You know, there's one more key to courage we need to see. In Joshua chapter 14, Caleb himself explains why it was that he was courageous in the face of such frightening circumstances. Beginning in verse 7, he says this, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. That's a powerful, powerful key to courage. According to Caleb, he followed the Lord with his whole heart. There was no division. There was no, maybe I can trust him, maybe I can't. He was completely devoted to the Lord. And because he was, he knew with confidence that God is trustworthy. Friends, not trusting God is not only foolish and ridiculous, it is sinful. And we need to understand it as such. It is sinful not to trust God that way. Really, that's what Jesus taught us, right? Consider what Jesus said in Matthew 10, beginning in verse 37. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What is the greatest commandment according to Jesus? To love the Lord our God with all we are and all we have. And so my question to you is, with whatever you're facing right now, big or small, that requires courage, how will you respond? Will you respond courageously by trusting the Lord? You know, let me close with uh, three keys to courage. Number one, remember God. Remember God's promises. Remember God's works. And remember his, his character. The reason that's so important is that when we remember God, when we're going through things, we see our circumstances really through the eyes of the Lord. And we realize that he is well able. God often does bring us beyond ourselves. We're right to understand that. But when we get to that point, we can't give up. We can't say, well, I can't do it. Yeah, they're bigger than, than I am. This is too difficult for me. Yeah, God gets that. that. That's the point. He wants you to see that. But he doesn't want you to be looking inwardly or looking at the, the circumstances, he wants you to look to him. So we remember God, his character. He's a good and holy, loving heavenly father who carries his children along the way, who provides for us, who, 
who protects us. We remember his works, what he's done in our lives and the lives of other saints, especially as we read the word of God. And we remember his promises. He will bring you as a child of God, a follower of Jesus, safely home to heaven. Number two, we are to fear God rather than man. We are to fear God. Of course, the Bible calls that the beginning of wisdom. And it's really related to remembering God because when we remember God, we remember that he's greater than all these things. I should be more afraid to disobey the Lord than I am of the circumstances that I'm facing. What does Matthew 20, 10, 28 say along those lines? Very sobering words of Jesus. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And we have respect and awe for our Heavenly Father. But there should be a fear of disobeying the Lord. There should be a recognition of who he is and what rebellion is met with that will actually help us to live courageously. And then third and finally, to love God with all you are and all you have. Be wholly devoted to the Lord just the way Caleb was. I think if, if we really love the Lord, we seek after him. We will know him better and we really will trust him more. You know, I've seen that actually in my marriage over the years. When we were first married, uh, there were times Carmen and I would have an argument. And I think it's, it's not terribly uncommon, at least I, I hope so. Otherwise, it makes me look bad. But I think a lot of times in an early marriage, a young marriage, you can assume the worst out of your partner. Well, you left the toilet seat up because you're hoping that I die. Uh, you didn't do this because you don't care about me. And we tend to think the worst. At some point, not as early on in my marriage as it should have been, I realized as I was wrestling through something that we were disagreeing on, that's not the kind of woman my wife is. I should not be attributing those qualities to her because that's not her. That's, that's me. So the more we love the Lord, the more we trust him, the more we understand his character because we're seeking after him. We're delighting in him. We want to be with him more. So, you know, Caleb modeled the kind of courage that was necessary for God's people to enter the promised land and to do what seemed impossible by trusting the Lord fully. But, you know, he is not the perfect model for courage for us. Jesus is. You know, God was going to get his people into the promised land one way or the other. It was part of his, his plan of salvation, ultimately bringing forth the Messiah. If Caleb hadn't found the courage, God would have raised up somebody else who had. But in Jesus, the Son of God, we not only see the perfect example of courage, but we see it in the only one who could bring us to the ultimate promised land, heaven. Shortly before he was crucified, Jesus brought his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. The scene is familiar to many of us. Matthew chapter 26, verses 37 through 39 says, And taking with him Peter... And the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. A circumstance far greater physically and spiritually than we will ever face and the Bible describes Jesus' praying in Luke 22, verse 44, this way. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And yet, in spite of all of that, he willingly went to the cross. No one has ever displayed greater courage than Jesus. And he shows us the way. 
Jesus always remembered God the Father. Jesus always feared God. Jesus always loved God. And with his help, let us do the same no matter what the circumstances. Because courage is facing these circumstances and acting out of confidence in God, not in fear of our circumstances. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you that you know each one of our circumstances right now. Something is causing each one of us fear. We are acting out of that fear. And so we're not acting in obedience to you. And so, Father, no matter what it is, I pray that you would open our eyes to see where we are afraid of man and not afraid of God, we, where we have forgotten you, we are not remembering you, and where our love for you is falling short. It is the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives to bring these things about, and I pray that we would yield to him for that work. I pray, Father, that you would guide us in the circumstances that we now face to act courageously, to trust you, to love you, and to glorify you in our response. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.